Welcome to Essential Cooking. In this episode, we talk with Sadie Q and Jessica Hayes about the many shades of veganism, including vegan food, vegan lifestyle, and vegan makeup. And here's that fascinating conversation now. All right, so today for this episode, we have Jessica Hayes, who is a local makeup artist, as well as uh, microblading, eyebrows, Instagram influencer, uh, and also has a side project with mod uh, makeup, so doing all vegan makeup. And then we have Sadie Q from Hip in Detroit, kind of local, I guess, uh, you know, you're kind of an influencer for the Detroit area, specifically talking about all things from arts and culture to food to vegan destinations, vegan events. Jessica, hello. Hello. Hi, Sadie. Hello. We are going to deep dive into veganism, and I'm going to say the shades of veganism because I'm a chef. Obviously, I'm an omnivore. Uh, my restaurant, we serve all different uh, styles of food and, and, and all you know different kinds of animal and fish. However, all every August, we go completely vegan, and that's where actually where I met Jessica is as one of my guests at the restaurant. And what I've learned over the last, you know, really my whole career of cooking, occasional vegan, and now at Mabel Gray, uh, often vegan, is there are so many different styles of vegans. And veganism is a very vague word. It basically, you know, means plant-based or, uh, Jessica, I think you actually were looking up the uh, Webster's Dictionary. How would you describe the word vegan? It is a person who does not eat any food derived from animals and who typically does not use any other animal-derived products. And that's interesting because that's where I would say uh, your lifestyle comes in is because vegan makeup. And not a lot of people think about makeup as something that they need to consider for veganism. But obviously clothes, I think, are a little more aware, right? Fur, leather, those are more, um, you know, known animal products. But... Where do you find animal products in makeup? Oh, there's so many animal products in makeup. For instance, lanolin is used as a really big moisturizing agent. Uh, beeswax is commonly used in lipsticks. There's even some pretty icky things like squalene, which is shark liver. And there's even urea, which is a urine derivative in some things. Wow. And a lot it, of beetles, too. Yes. Smashed up yes. beetles to Smashed get the red. Smashed up beetles for red red pigment is very common. And so. isn't there beaver somewhere? Beaver-like I bladder? Think, what am I t- you know, I think or the something? Beaver, the beaver butthole yeah, is that, for um, vanilla extract. That's right. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, there's yeah, it, there are so many. I mean, if you think about, you know, the animal production world, they want to make money on every, every part, part yes. of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think sugar cane has uh, cane sugar, sugar, right? So, like, just white granulated sugar from sugar cane, I believe, has bones involved in the processing. Yes, burn chaw to make mm-hmm. it white. Yes. And then there's, um, you know, obviously gelatin. That's another right. one. So, I mean, I think that's like, I feel like that's one of the first things... Uh, you know, non-vegans learn about how far the, the you know, the, the plant-based world has to protect themselves. Right. Is that, you know, people learn about gelatin, right? So like panna cotta, jello. Right. Mm-hmm. And jelly beans. Jelly beans. And, you know, to me, cooking for vegans is interesting because, you know, at a baseline, no animal products, right? Mm-hmm. But we just talked about earlier, you know, before we started recording, figs. I see there's vegans that don't eat figs because there's a tiny wasp involved in the pollinating of a fig, and I believe that wasp dies. Bees are another one. Like, I go back and I, ra- I have bees in my yard. I mm-hmm. raise bees. So Ooh. honey, when you're raising bees, honey is actually a byproduct 
oftentimes, especially with colony collapse, which is prevalent in the uh, raising of bees, right? If you're raising bees in America, these are European bees. They're not from here. But now our agriculture heavily relies on it. In fact, your orchards up north will have like trucks that drive around with beehives in them. So we're kind of like, we're kind of stuck in this scenario now. So biodynamic beekeeping to me, I consider to be almost similar to like foraging where you're like, you're coming mm-hmm. across a product that exists. But if you look at like a lot of the mass produced honey in the world, like the sugar water, mm-hmm. the kind of like, yes. that's a different. It's more so the commercial that is really mm, troublesome. I, I totally agree. And I try to avoid that. And however, nowadays with repackaging, it's actually hard. Mm-hmm. If you're especially in a grocery store, it might say like a Michigan product, but it's like repackaged from China or Belgium yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So raising bees, I feel comfortable. And I tell – I have some vegans that I tell them like these are my bees. This honey is left over from actual col- colony collapse, which is unfortunate, but it's real. Or – and, you know, you, you raise bees as well. Mm-hmm. We've had swarms and then obviously the bees – well, the, the hive will kind of like shrink for the next year because they swarmed. Mm-hmm. So you have way too much honey. Because they're way the, – the, they swarm when they're that healthy and that happy. Mm-hmm. So we um, – James and I both, it's biodynamic beekeeping. My goal is not to have honey. Like it's a byproduct. It's great if it happens. But if I never get any honey from it, it's fine. But if that – those colonies continue to reproduce – that's what I care about. I love it. You're yeah. saving the world one bee at a time. One bee at we a time. We need the bees. The bees we, are. We need the bees. So it's really an interesting process to watch. And then when you get some honey, is just a bonus. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is really great. But we have been. We've learned a lot about what commercial beekeeping is like, and like, and that is a very different dynamic altogether. Yes. I think that's a big part of it. When you learn about what commercial, you know, mm-hmm. how they treat these animals, yep. uh, I think that was for me, like when you say there's different types of vegans, there's kind of three categories I say. There's vegans that do it for health or so they say health. Uh, there's people that do it for the animals and then there's people that are kind of motivated to do it for the environment. Those seem to be like the three ways that you get into it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's but fair. But what happens some is, them you know, intersect. sometimes you cut out meat, you cut out cheese, you cut out dairy and then it's sort of for me personally it was eye opening cuz it was like you can't go to a restaurant and look at somebody and be like do not put butter on my thing also did you see my new leather shoes yeah you start to become super aware of everything you're yeah. doing right, right? Mm-hmm. so it's like at first i wasn't thinking what face wash am i using but then you know like a year into it you're like it feels weird to be working towards this all day and then using this face wash that isn't vegan isn't cruelty free and just can go into this but not using cruelty free things at this point is insanity because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of easy to use vegan stuff if you like research it, right? But it's sort of a process. It's at first, it's learning. And I'm always learning. You just taught me about the fig thing today. Now I'm going to go home and go down a research hole and yeah. figure all that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica, so what in the makeup and clothing world, where do you think, what is the hardest thing for you to like get vegan? Like, you know, what is what is something about, like, obviously a car is a good one, right? Like, it's very hard to get, like, you know, a car That's without... why you'll definitely see a lot of Subarus in your parking lot <laughs> during <laughs> vegan month at Mabel Gray. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, cars were definitely something that I didn't really even think about at first. But, um, you know, even the higher end, like, BMWs are decking their cars out with vegan leather now these days. So, uh, but to go back to the shades of veganism and being a plant-based diet or an, I call myself an ethical vegan, which means I don't eat anything derived from animals. And then I'll also 
never use anything that's tested on animals, which is the biggest thing in the beauty community. Uh, so, yeah. So what? give us an example of what something you were using and then you really like, – who's testing on animals that like you're – you know, fighting against a little bit? Like, is there somebody, is there a group that you're like, is it like Dove Bar Soap is like, you know, they're... Uh, actually, Dove Bar Soap labels themselves as cruelty-free, but there's a um, there's a clause that if you sell in China, it will automatically be tested on animals. So brands can kind of trick you into saying that they are a cruelty-free brand, but realistically, they're not because their products are tested on animals in China. So China will test on animals regardless. No matter what. Yes. Interesting. So you might be buying the Dove line that's produced in a cruelty-free way, Mm -hmm. but you would say ethically you're not going to support that because one country they sell to will test on animals. Uh, So it's like if you're going to your regular, uh, let's say like Walgreens, CVS, these like – lines of makeup, right? What I've learned is like I can go towards the NYX. I can go towards uh no, I can't go. Elf. Elf, thank you. That's the other one yeah. I was trying to think of. So when I pop into those places, oh, and CoverGirl yeah, now. Cover thank girls. you, CoverGirl. They're um, all vegan? They're all, uh, they're all cruelty, cruelty free. free, which does not mean that they have vegan products necessarily. Um, so, you know, those are the three that I go towards. And then a lot of their stuff will specify if it's vegan or not. And I try to stick with those. I can't buy. I used to love Revlon lipstick. I have given up Revlon lipstick. I know for me and Jess, one of the biggest give ups of our life was Mac. Mac, yeah. Not only was Jess an actual Mac girl, but mm-hmm. I was a Mac girl. Like when I was in my 20s, <laughs> you went to the store, you got yourself a lipstick, which was probably like a pale pink. And some crazy eyeshadow. Yes. And, like, I loved Mac. I would return my five all the time for the recycling program. I have not bought a Mac product since I went vegan, and I'll never buy one again. So Mac is not vegan. They're not cruelty-free. They're not cruelty-free. Mac Mac label themselves as cruelty-free. They have no certifications that they are because they do sell in China. So they'll try to kind of pull the wool over your eyes. Uh, No pun intended there. Um, But... They say that they're cruelty-free and they do sell in China. So there is definitely uh, a lot to look out for. You can't just believe everything that you read on packaging. But honestly, we're saying this and it all sounds so complicated and hard, but literally a Google search and you'll be able to find out if it is or not. I was going to say, you gave me that website and I just pull it up on the website. Mm -hmm. Should I buy this product or not? Because that's the thing is there's a million products to buy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you go to a sauce section of a grocery store you go to a makeup counter you have have so many choices and i think that there's no better way to talk i believe that we lead by example right so there's my money is what talks for me and i try to you know when i pull products out of my purse they're vegan they're cruelty free then people say what are you using and i can be like oh it's this and then they're just gonna go buy it because they like the color they Mm -hmm. like the look of stuff right like i have a friend that bought the entire mob beauty line Um, because they're trying to get into like more cream products. And, you know, not only is Jess offering this up to them, they're offering it up in a kit where it has the blush, it has the eyeshadow, it has everything you need. And Jess showed you how to use it, which a lot of times with makeup, that's the big, (laughs) you know, I don't have any on today for a reason. Yeah. Well, so in the makeup world, yes, there are a lot of options and you can certainly be ethical with a Google search. Now, Pivoting to where I think you don't have a lot of options, and that's dining as a vegan in the Midwest. Yes, I I travel a lot. I know you too. I know you do as well, Jessica. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you do say it or not, but when you travel as a vegan, you go to the coasts, you go to you know uh, any kind of like cosmopolitan city. Incredibly easy. Yeah. I mean, there's ve- there's vegan concepts. That you don't even need to look that hard. Mm-hmm. 
Now in the Midwest, specifically Detroit, Southeast Michigan, I would I would rank it as like a <laughs> like a C minus for like accessibility to vegan Agree. products. And even if you do find vegan, it's often uh, bottom of the barrel or like incredibly unhealthy. Like mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say, a lot of fried stuff. A lot I of call it like yellow food. Yeah, yeah. Yellow. yeah, that's a good explanation. <laughs> I really, I am not a fan. In fact, when we do these vegan months at the restaurant, I you'll probably notice I never do the vegan substitutes. Mm-hmm. I hate like tempeh or like. I mean, I, I certainly don't mess with any kind of impossible or beyond or anything like that. Uh, I want to eat, you know, basically whole foods. Mm-hmm. I really hate like, uh, you know, a tempeh instead of a So we burger. do too. We want to eat those whole foods right. too. It's just impossible but to a, find them. A lot of restaurants will just be like, oh, here have the burger that we do, but with this different patty or a black bean patty. Like, I think that is a complete cop out. Or once in a while, if you're like, yeah, if you're like late night drunk, sure. But, like, that, that, yes. you can't live on that. Yeah. No, you can't. I'm going to say it. I absolutely hate Beyond Meat. It is revolting. And I love it. <laughs> I just love it. I made myself two burgers over the weekend. Wow. I made myself a little, like, zippy sauce with some <laughs> vegan mayo, and I put some spices in it, cut up some pickles, cut up some lettuce, got myself some buns. Matt accidentally—no, I didn't have buns. Matt al- accidentally bought brioche buns, oh. and I always check the back when he goes yep. grocery shopping. And so I ended up having it on some rye bread I had left over from the Eastern Market. It was wonderful. So where do you go around <laughs> Is there a restaurant or a resource that you go to to eat? I mean, I'm sure you guys probably have a routine when you're eating out. You probably have a list of like, I don't know, five, six places you go. Like, is that even I that wish I had five or six places. I generally don't really like the Midwest bar food culture that we have. Uh, but, you know, luckily there are a lot of... Um, See, I'm with him in Detroit. I'm out all the time. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Savas is my favorite. I Savas. love Savas so much, which is vegetarian, not vegan, but they have vegan for everything. Yes. And I like going to the places like Public House or Almere's. I like going places where I can order off a menu and not have to talk to anybody about being vegan. You just mm-hmm. order I don't want thing. that to be the first topic of dinner. Oh, I was going to say... Um, ethnic restaurants. You oh, can for sure. always mm-hmm. find... And, yeah, and in, the, Indian the, restaurants are incredible yes. at that. Yeah. And everyone says that veganism is a uh, first world. Um, White girl thing. <laughs> yeah. But like, why do we have to only eat yeah, at the ethnic restaurants <laughs> to yeah. get our vegan food? But I, you know, obviously when Mabel Gray had the August month, I try to book in as many times as possible and get it all in. Um, I really like Freya. They have a really good mm-hmm. vegan yeah, they do. They do. tasting menu. Um, I love Tokoi. They've always got a lot of stuff in the option. Chartreuse um, takes really good care of us. Makes yes. us feel special. Yes. Yep. Uh, but Tokoi, they have tofu. And I know you said you don't really love tempeh like, and tofu. I like but tofu. It, it is uh, tempeh and tofu is considered a whole foods, plant-based food. So it's not like you know, those crappy ingredients that are trying to replicate, like, you know, the taste of a, a chicken breast right. or, a, or a burger yeah. or anything. So I do really appreciate restaurants that will add, like, a tofu or tempeh into their, um, just, you know, because vegans, we we do need our protein. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, like, I and love going to Mudgies. It. Like, Mudgies has a great vegan option for me. I feel like a lot of the places where – uh, chefs, real people have taken over and run a kitchen. They have something that isn't just a Beyond Burger for you. Right. And I just try to, you know, 
pick a place that I have an option. Other people that I'm eating with that are omnivores, maybe they have an option too. I find that when I go out with people, though, they usually want to try the vegan thing, which is really fun Mm -hmm. for me. Because then I'm usually showing them something that's delicious and yummy. I do love going. I went to one of the frame dinners on uh, Friday night. It was uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, she's from Traverse City. Yeah, yeah. She's like a personal chef. It was five courses. And I think those are really fun because... They experiment with things like there was a root vegetable that was sort of the base of everything that I've never tried before that she they talk in between each of the courses. She was explaining where it came from and how much protein it had. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that root vegetables had protein in them. Me, though. And then she had a really good soup. It was like a tomato red pepper soup to start off with. And um, another kind of ancient grain was sort of the base of the main dish. It was really good. And it was stuff I've never tried. So that was fun because it kind of opened me up to stuff, too. But as far as traveling around Michigan, my pro tip for that is, have you ever been to—I say it wrong every time, Jess. Aranthum? Aratham? Aratham. Aranthum. They have like five locations now, and Mm -hmm. it's to go already prepped vegan everything. They deliver for free. They do. I like to go there because I like to look at all of it, and it's like three miles from my house, their Troy location. But I, you know, going up to like Muskegon or all those— you know, the UP, all the places. I like to bike ride. That's my that's my jam. So we go on these trails, and I just pack up like five or six of those meals with me, 10 of them if I need to. I just eat that way. And then I'm eating good, healthy. He does sandwiches. He does pad thais. He does breakfast. He does this hash I really love. And this is a, this is a local chain? Yeah, they have one in Detroit, Farmington Hills, Troy— I think there's five West now. Bloomfield. West Bloomfield. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, these vegan chains, you follow like the restaurant, you know, the the, the national restaurant trends. I mean, v- every year veganism grows. I mean, also, I mean, also, you know, so do steakhouses too. So there's direct conflict there. But there's uh, veganism is a growing market all the time. When you travel, uh, I think I think you travel pretty internationally, Jess, because mm-hmm. obviously you're Australian. Yeah. yeah. Um, where do you think is the easiest city? Like, what if you if you like, what is like a where is vegan utopia? Is it L.A.? Like where? Oh wh- my gosh, L.A. Yes, yeah. it has the best food. L.A. and New York are the best for food in the U.S. for yeah. sure. Every time I get there, I kind of panic. Like, there's not enough days. <laughs> there's not enough meals in the day to fit all the stuff that I want to get. Uh, but basically, when I travel, there's an app on my phone called Happy Cow, and it lets you know everywhere that there's vegan restaurants, everywhere that there's vegetarian restaurants, and then also it will give you all the omnivore restaurants that have options, Mm. and then people rate and review it. It's basically like a Yelp, but for vegans and vegetarians. Is there critical reviews in there too? Are people complaining about stuff too? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. and then also they, you actually, if you're a restaurant that sells uh, veal or just, you know, um, foie gras, something like that. (laughs) <laughs> There's a hit list. You're actually they will not let you add wow. to the restaurant um, on Happy Cow if you do sell those products. And you know, okay, so that's a good one because foie gras uh, historically, right, is a is a pretty controversial uh, food mm-hmm. product. Um, it's a fattened duck liver, and the proponents of it, mostly the French, right? The French are, mm-hmm. very, are very like that's basically who invented foie gras. Well, I shouldn't say invent. They kind of mass like basically mass marketed it. There's hieroglyphic images of like people fattening. Birds, yeah. right? Birds, birds' livers fatten because of the migratory patterns. They're basically mm-hmm. their bodies are conditioned to like get incredibly fat to fly for mm-hmm. you know whatever, however long it takes to get to the other continents. So the ancient Egyptians were doing this, but the French kind of like mass marketed it, and they will claim essentially that like it's you know it's relatively natural. Be- 
because it's like you know it's part of the the, the bird's response to be, to fattening and they do it in nature and i don't i don't really serve a lot of i have of course i'm a chef so i've cooked fucker a million times mm-hmm. i don't love it i don't eat it any, anymore for my age and health but i feel like people that it's interesting to me the people that are like anti foie gras but still omnivores cuz i'm like if you see veal if you eat tyson chicken i think you are way more uh, you know, there's way more violence in Tyson chicken. When you force feed these ducks, it's definitely not something that I think is uh, super pretty. But these ducks are like raised on a small farm. They're they're held when they're force fed. These are they're out in nature. They're they're walking around. If you look at some of these like mass produced chickens, so if you're anti foie gras but you're pro, yeah. That's a good example. She's showing a pretty nasty picture of a force feeding of a duck. I want to see that. Um, <laughs> well, fo- well, foie gras. There's also like multiple, multiple farms for it, and so sourcing is very important. You're, if you want to Google a bad example of any product in the world, you're going to find it. Yes. I'm not here to sell you foie gras. Yes. But I think that if you look in the world of foie gras versus mass-produced chicken, if you eat Tyson chicken but don't eat foie gras, I don't. All I'm saying is I don't think you're saving anybody. Yeah. So I, I think what I think you, happens there is like. There's an awakening, right? So what you just said is somebody knew the process and now they don't want to eat it, right? right? Mm-hmm. There's a big reason we don't know where our meat and our chicken and all our things, we do not realize what's happening on these farms. And that's on purpose. I mean, people try to break in from all these different organizations and get videos and they really work hard to hide that. And I mean, it's because I think if you knew, like I always say, if you knew better, you'd do better, right? So a lot of growing up and becoming me was learning how I, you know, interacted with race, how I interacted with class. And once I knew differently, I did differently. Yeah, if you know better, you do better. And I better. feel like it's the same thing with eating and food. It's like, I didn't know where these things came from. My mom was a Costco and Sam's Club girly. I had only eaten, like, reheated food most of my life, really low-quality food. And it's like once I got older and I started going to restaurants and was like, oh, God, this this is different. This isn't reheated Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. I wanted that kind of food. And then once I realized what was happening to the meat and the chickens and stuff— I think that's a big part of it. So I think when people are like, oh, I don't eat, you know, veal because they torture those animals. Yeah, they kind of do that to all the animals. Right. And I think that to me, that's when we talked about earlier, like when I have guests or fellow chefs, people that kind of like scoff at veganism, I usually have to tell them, like, listen, I subscribe. If you compose all of my ethics into one big bundle, I lean vegan because I'm really picky about the way in which I serve meat. And as I get older in this industry and the world, in my opinion, the world of, of animal husbandry gets more and more corrupt or mass produced, I am cooking more vegan now than I ever have. And by the time I'm in my 50s, I'm probably going to be vast majority vegan for my own We're health. We're going to get them there. Yeah, yeah. of course. That's not a hard, that's not a hard sell. I, 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 love, I love eating vegan for, for a million reasons. But I do th- – I mean me personally, I think in history, we have, you know, we've done animal husbandry well. And I think that, like, the, the natural world is obviously not vegan. And these are the arguments you're going to hear, right? Like, you know, the natural world is, is, is vulgar. I don't know if you follow nature is metal on Instagram. That's yes. A, like, there's a, nature is vulgar. Yes. And so, but I think that we can live cruelty-free, especially in this first world country we're in. Mm-hmm. And I think veganism is a good start for a lot of, like, leading by example, leading a healthier life. So I, I'm all about it. I think that, like, there's just so much uh, hypocrisy inside of some of these conversations where people will choose the one thing that they don't like. I don't eat veal, but I eat like I go and I get a butterball turkey every Thanksgiving. Yes. It's like I don't like picking and choosing is good. Making small decisions. I support that. 
But yeah, I think like f- researching if you if you are buying meat from a farm that they won't let you tour, I think that's a problem. That's Absolutely. that's that's like ground zero of problems. I will say the whole I don't eat veal and then I don't eat this. It kind of for me at least that's what led me towards veganism. So I had a pet lamb when I was six years old, and then after that I did not eat lamb. And then I got a pug dog, and it's got a curly little tail like a pig. So after that, I stopped eating pigs. And then I learned about the nasty stuff that's in milk. So I stopped eating milk, and it was just this progression that, like, you know, I didn't eat veal, I didn't eat lamb. I went to roast one night, and I got suckling pig. And my friend, who is an avid meat eater, she said to me, oh, don't get that. That's like the veal but the pork version. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't want to eat a baby but in reality, every single animal that's slaughtered for meat is a baby, essentially. Mm, right. They might not be an infant like veal or suckling pig, but they usually are under a year old. Well, I mean, most most people don't realize, like, the chickens you eat are, like, we have bred chickens to be, like, about a six-week turnaround. Yes. And I, mean, I ask people, I ask, like, even, like, omnivores, I'm just like, how old do you think the average chicken is? When I mean, you just see, like, a full-size chicken in the grocery store. It's like, oh, I don't know, six months, nine months? Like, six weeks. Yeah. It's a six-week, pro- it's like, look at a human baby at six weeks. That's a mm-hmm. pretty young life. And it's... You know, I think now I'm picturing eating babies. <laughs> I mean, we're, Literally. we're always I mean, omnivores are eating babies all the time. I mean, like if you look at like, you know, a Poussin or yeah, suckling pig. And it's interesting because if you go to like old world countries, right, you go to Italy, you know, if you go to like Testaccio, which is the old butcher area, right? It's the old stockyard slaughterhouses. And you have a lot of these foods like peasant foods, right? Like. Yes, in parts of the world, if the the lower class eats vegan because of agriculture mm-hmm. and because of like you know resources, well, other parts of the world, the lower class eats nothing but usually offal or different cuts, mm-hmm. heads, tail, feet, and it's it's interesting because like as a chef who travels the world, like I eat everything because I'm in a lot of places where I'm being served things that I didn't even order, and you just you just you know you just eat because that's what's offered. How do you feel like how do where does the veganism argument? go in that area if you're in an if you're in a part of the world like Czech Republic where like you know meat is a huge part of the diet how do you begin those conversations what do you do if you're in that part of the world do you just kind of like stay quiet lay low do you engage in conversations about hey veganism is the right way like how do you handle a culture that's relying on meat I think uh, I haven't personally started any conversations when I am traveling about that um But I was thinking about this this morning, like culturally, we've done things that are pretty fucked up over the history of the world. And, you know, why shouldn't we change? Like that was one of the things where I was envisioning being asked the question of what is kind of okay. And culturally, like I think about Australian Aboriginals, they eat kangaroo meat. Do I think that that's okay? Yes, it is in their culture. But if you live in a first world country and you're still using the cultural excuse when, you know, you're literally just going to Kroger and buying plastic wrapped chicken, I just think that that's, it's an excuse at this point because culturally we used to do some really messed up stuff and we should be changing these practices. If somebody wants to be a vegan, certainly what would be the first steps that you would say to them? Like, maybe it's just for health reasons. Mm -hmm. What is a website they can go to for guiding them, especially where the makeup is concerned, um, with cruelty-free and vegan makeup? Like, it is one of the most unregulated industries in the world. 
things, Definitely. put anything in there, and your skin is the biggest organ you have. Yes. And so you put it on, and it sits there all day going into your bloodstream, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And I don't think people think about it quite mm-hmm. like that, and that's what it is. So can you give us a little bit of like, this is how you can go about it, get vegan makeup, where do you go to find cruelty-free and vegan, or at least know what's in it before you slap it on your face? Yes. So if you're concerned mostly about uh, the ingredients of what you're putting on your face, that would be vegan and clean makeup. Uh, And essentially to have vegan makeup, it has to be cruelty-free. Cruelty-free as a term, just means not tested on animals. It doesn't mean that there are no animal-derived products in it. Uh, So vegan makeup means it is not tested on animals and also has no animal-derived products. If you go into CVS, you will see a brand like Maybelline, who tests on animals, slap the vegan word on some of their foundations, which is technically incorrect. So it can get a little bit confusing, but I have some really good resources. I always check Logical Harmony, and there's also Ethical Elephant. Those are the two most up-to-date. They do so much research into asking brands if their suppliers test their raw ingredients on animals, and then most of the products on there are vegan as well. Mm-hmm. That's, That's really good That's to know. Info. And clean beauty is definitely what people are like going towards now because mm-hmm. what you're talking about, we do care. So, you know, I had a friend say to me recently that Bath & Body Works was having their big sale of the year. I have never understood why people like Bath & Body Works because those smells are super <laughs> intense to me. But I was like, you know, I don't buy products like that because I don't want that stuff in my body. And she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, the lotion, you put it on your hands, it just goes into your system. And she was just staring at me and I was like, I, you didn't realize that? Like, with all these heavy smells and all these heavy per- perfumes and all these like lower grade, just like the food, lower grade lotions, lower grade stuff, you're putting junk in your body. So, you know, I'd rather splurge on the one nicer Mm -hmm. lotion and rub it on my body than, you know, and there's also some harder stuff, like when it comes to medical grade stuff, which is, you know, at my age, what we're all getting into, it gets even harder to find stuff that's ethical, clean, cruelty-free, because a lot of that stuff medically has to be tested according to our laws and stuff. So there's like levels. Yeah, I think, you know, clean is a good word to use because I was actually, I was just at a balsamic producer in Emilia Romagna and we were tasting amazing balsamics. You know, they have a hundred year old balsamic. It's really impressive stuff. And then they get to this like, they're doing like a raspberry balsamic and a truffle balsamic. You know, we're tasting now their like, their lines of things. And everyone's like freaking out over the truffle balsamic. And I'm like, ah, this tastes like shit. And I'm like, I'm like, can I see the bottle? And it's like, you know, it's like with truffle and natural flavoring. And every time you see – that's the problem in um, America especially, but in other countries too. The word natural is so so fake. And the the vanilla extract, which comes from the butthole beaver, that is labeled as natural flavoring. You'll never know. It is natural. Well, right. Exactly. It's like technically (laughs) it's occurring in – It's about as natural as it gets. Yeah, it's occurring in (laughs) nature. A little too natural for me. But I think, yeah, doing your – like even in the food world, especially in the food world with truffle or raspberry or cherry, you always – even – I'll give you an example of the cherry wood, the wood chips you buy Mm -hmm. for cherry wood smoking. It's usually like a generic wood that's sprayed with like cherry aromatics. It's not really? wood from cherry trees. Like, th- so just like doing your f- front loading your research, I, uh, obviously I don't wear makeup, but I can imagine 
trying to buy those products can really be overwhelming when you're starting off or if you're looking, if you're like, I want to get better at this. So, and I know you probably won't self-promote, Jessica, but Mod is the line that you offer. Obviously, if somebody wants to get into cool makeup, cruelty-free, vegan, and learn how to use it. With can, great mm-hmm. packaging that's recyclable, yeah. Sustainable packaging. That that's they my favorite are, part of it. They are actually launching a completely compostable packaging soon. So that's... um. That's Exciting. going to come out by the end of the year. That's so cool. So what's the website? Where do people it go? It is mobbeauty.com, M-O-B Yeah, I'm sorry. Beauty. I'm saying mod. I'm sorry. Mob Beauty.com. Beauty. And actually, mob is – so usually years ago when I thought of vegan, especially clean makeup, I would always think of, you know, the crunchy Whole Foods <laughs> aisle of just like – Awful stuff. That just rubbed off your face. Yes, exactly. But Mob is actually the chemist that uh, designs and uh, formulates all the products for Mob. He was actually the OG chemist of MAC Cosmetics in the 80s. So his formulations are absolutely amazing. They are professional grade. They're easy to use. They're clean. They're vegan. They're uh, they're sustainable, cruelty-free, all of the above. So... Um, and it's very, very, very cool. That yeah. is, nice, that is it's really nice, great. It's nice you can just that's that's relieving for a lot of people because they can just go to one source and it checks yes. all the boxes and yeah. then you can just stay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, so thank you so much for coming in today. I think that this is just kind of scratching the surface of veganism. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories. I will see you soon at the restaurant. Obviously, yes, all of August, Mabel Gray is doing the vegan tasting menu. That's exciting. Um, I'll be there the and, first week. And we can obviously follow, we can follow Sadie at Hip say, Detroit. You know, if you want to learn what it's like to live in the Detroit area and be a vegan, I'm mm-hmm. going to all the restaurants. You know, Hip in Detroit started it as a music thing. Uh, Angelisi mm-hmm. is one of my favorite people on, in Detroit. <laughs> I had you guys Same. on you're early, such, right? Like the first or second year. You're one of my biggest heroes. <laughs> oh, you're so Icon. Nice. Yes. So, you know, we got into music, but as the city changed, which has Mm -hmm. been 11 years now, art, culture, food, following you, James, going to a lot of your different dinners and stuff. It's been amazing. And I think it's fun to see, like, I'll show you what you can get at Detroit Shipping Company if you're a vegan, because there is lots of options. And it's not a place you would traditionally think of, right? And I think a lot of people don't want to feel embarrassed or you know, don't want to preach to other people. Mm. They just want to live their life. Like, I believe that I like to lead by example, right? So, like, when I went to Detroit Shipping Company, I was with two omnivores. We get a bunch of different options. I let them try the vegan options. And then when I put it up on Hip in Detroit, I show you that there's kind of both, right? Right. So people can share a meal with each other. And then my friend, who's not really open to the vegan thing, tried something that she was like, I have to go back here for this. So the next time she's going to go out, she's going to try something vegan. And I'm all about little and changes in I, your life. I I'm think, all about meatless Mondays. I'm all about trying right. things. Like, say, that's the way you lure. You lure in with love and I'm support and understanding. <laughs> so yeah. for food for food in the area, hip in Detroit, hit up Sadie. And obviously for makeup, lifestyle, and the, the, the demo of how to use the makeup, follow Jessica Hayes, both on Instagram. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Essential Cooking. If you've been enjoying our show, please drop us a review and share it with a friend. This podcast is produced by me, Andalisi, with my co-host, James Rigato. This episode was also produced, engineered, and edited by Connor Anderson, with production support from David Lyons, original music by the Mallet Brothers. Essential Cooking is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.